Please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would now anoint my lips and that you would anoint your people's ears so that we might gain understanding from your word. We pray that as a result that our lives would be changed and renewed for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in 1987, uh, it was about three years uh, into my Christian walk, I'd signed up for a short-term, a national short-term missions trip uh, in Victoria, B.C. with Campus Crusade for Christ. And the goal of this um, summertime was for these 30 students who had come to get a full-time job during the day in the city and then to uh, do ministry in the evenings and the weekends with churches doing evangelism uh, and outreach in that community. Now, for me, it was a win-win situation because I could still earn money and go back to school in the fall. And this was such a big faith step for me because I had already said no to a great uh, summer job. And so I needed God to come through. So with my suitcase, uh, with a return uh, bus trip home and uh, about $100 in my pocket, I headed out for Victoria, B.C. So after some orientation, I and a number of other students just pounded the pavement and uh, looked for a job. And I asked God, Lord, I really need a job. Uh, I only have enough money to last me about seven days, you know, with uh, accommodations and with transportation and food. And so if I can't find a job after seven days, I'm going home. So I put that before God. So a number of us, every day we went out. And we did everything we could to find a job. We went out to the employment center. We handed resumes to everywhere we could go to. And uh, it was around the second day, and I still didn't have a job. I had existed on peanut butter sandwiches and pasta just so that, you know, it kind of spread out the money. And my money was almost all gone. I was so hungry one time that I was at this grocery store at the bulk food section, and I saw some uh, broken cookies among all the cookies that they were selling. I said, you know what? No one's going to want to buy those. I don't think they're going to miss it. So I'll leave it that to your imagination whether or not I ate those cookies. And, you know, I was so desperate to get a job. At that last day, I just started going through the phone book, starting with the A's uh, of construction companies. And so I don't remember how far along in the alphabet I got until somebody picked up and said, you know, and I said, hi, my name is Sam, and uh, uh, my three friends and I are looking for a job. Well, the guy says, yeah, sure, come by tomorrow at 8 o'clock and you can get started. Now, we couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. He didn't even ask for all our names. He didn't ask if we had any experience in construction. He just said to come by. I wasn't sure if it was a joke. So we showed up, and, he, and it was one of the best summer jobs I ever had. And we had, uh, it was great pay, and we got to share with many of the construction workers. In fact, the guy who would get, give us a ride to work was so close to coming to Christ by the end of the summer. And so we just rejoiced and praised God for that. And um, so, you know, at the end of the summer, we were having lunch with the foreman at the site, and... Um, you know, we were just chatting about different things. And he said, so when are you guys going to start playing hockey again? I said, I don't play hockey. I'm Filipino. And I said to my friends, do you guys play hockey? And he said, no, we don't play hockey. And so you should have seen the shock and horror on that foreman's face. 
Because he said, aren't you guys the four guys I was supposed to hire at the beginning of the summer that the owner of the construction company sent over for me to hire? I said, no. (laughs) Well, apparently, just before I called that day, the owner of the construction company says, you know, hey, I'm sending some guys uh, from the hockey team I sponsor, and I want you to give them a job. Well, those guys never showed up that whole summer. So God provided in amazing ways. (laughs) And, you know, um, uh, that summer I saw God move incredibly and do some amazing things. And I grew so much in my faith. And even in the beginning of the summer, I'd asked those 30 students to pray for my sister who didn't know God. And so they covenanted with me to pray every day for my sister that she'd come to know Christ. At the end of the summer, I went home. I opened the door, and there was my sister. She was crying, and she said, Sam, I need God. And she gave her life to Christ. Um, You know, so we've all experienced God do some amazing things. We've all experienced God's goodness in different ways. Uh, And at that instant, we're convinced that God is good and that God's plan for us is good. But it doesn't take long for us to forget that he's good. Soon, you know, life beats up on us and there's sickness in the family. There's fracture in the relationship. There's um, stress at work or maybe uh, job loss and even little things that get us depressed uh, and uh, cause us to doubt. The world, the flesh and the devil all conspire to get us to forget about the goodness of God. You know, and that's even happened to, of all people, a guy like John the Baptist. Uh, we find his story of doubt and discouragement and confusion in Luke chapter 7. And um, prior to that passage that we're going to be looking at and reading, uh, Jesus just performs, performs two amazing miracles. The first one is uh, when he heals the centurion's servant. And, you know, Jesus is just amazed of this man's faith because the centurion just asked him, could, could, Jesus, could you heal, heal my servant? And, you know, Jesus is about to go with him. He says, no, no, you don't have to go. Just say the word and he's going to be healed. And Jesus was just amazed at this Roman soldier's faith. And then after that, Jesus heals, uh, not only heals, but he raises a widow's son from the dead. Right? Just incredible miracles. And then so we pick that up in Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 18. And it reads, John's disciples told him about all these things, just what we had mentioned. Calling two of them, those disciples, he went, uh, he sent them to the Lord and asked, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Meaning the Messiah, the anointed one, the king who was supposed to usher in the kingdom of God. When the men came to Jesus, they, uh, they, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one that, um, or should we expect someone else? And at that time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So before you think that John the Baptist is some kind of spiritual lightweight, 
I just want to walk you through uh, just some background information about John the Baptist. John was born to Elizabeth, who was Mary's cousin, and to Zechariah. And both were descendants of Aaron, meaning that they're a priestly family. John the Baptist's name is derived from, um, it's, uh, it's a um, divinely given name, and it means Jehovah God is gracious or good. And it refers to God's grace to Elizabeth, who was barren, he could, she couldn't conceive, and also uh, to John's specific life mission uh, as the preparer for the Messiah's coming. And we know that Jesus' life was woven integrally and deeply into John the Baptist's life. When Mary visited Elizabeth, uh, her cousin Elizabeth, when she was pregnant with Jesus, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, who was John, leapt with joy. John was the one who baptized Jesus and beheld the Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove and coming upon Jesus. And then hearing the pronouncement of the Father, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And so at this point, John is in prison. And it's been about 12 to 18 months, so we can gather, because he's been condemned by King Herod because, you know, John had accused uh, Herod of committing adultery with his brother's wife, Herodias. And so John had been in prison, and this is when he'd heard about all the things that Jesus was doing. And so it's clear from the review of John's life that John was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, the Anointed One, and that God incarnate himself since he had said, He existed before me. And John would not have said, uh, you know, and declared Jesus was the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world if he, had not, if he was not convinced that Jesus was on a divine mission. And so we know that uh, John was uh, discouraged, that he had doubts, and he was confused. And we ask, well, why? Well, as we look at the passage, it's very evident. One, well, he was in prison. Right? It was, duh. You know, well, uh, understanding that the type of prisons that they had in the, in the Middle East were not the type of prisons that we have here, you know, where they get to watch TV, exercise, and have three square meals a day. You know, you have to have family members and other friends to come in and, and give you meals. And, you know, although thinking that uh, mice and cockroaches are probably a step up from locusts and honey. And so you think that at this point, uh, after the months passed by, John the Baptist must have been thinking and having second thoughts and asking himself, you know, why am I still in prison? How long is it going to be? Why isn't Jesus doing anything to get me out? And then secondly, John had a different agenda than Jesus. Because John emphasized the wrath of God and the coming judgment in his ministry. And remember that John was the one uh, who said to the people who were coming, he said, his winnowing fork, speaking of Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Not the touchy-feely type that we would want to expect. And on the other hand, Jesus emphasized, emphasized grace and forgiveness of sins. John failed to see that Jesus' first coming and his goal in his first coming was to bring about God's grace and forgiveness. And the judgment, uh, he was going to come with judgment in his second coming. So John must have been thinking, you know, 
what's this stuff about forgiveness? Uh, when is he going to do something important? Uh, when is he going to start judging people? Is Jesus really the Messiah? And then, thirdly, John was disconnected from Jesus. John's life was uh, woven deeply into Jesus' life, but he really didn't spend a lot of time with Jesus because he was a loner, as Scripture tells us. And he spent time gathering locusts, eating honey, and chasing camels, and preaching repentance. He had his own ministry and his own disciples. And eventually, he became disconnected from Jesus, the very person of Jesus. Now, I don't know what type of uh, prison uh, you're in, because, uh, you know, there's, only, there's other types of prisons than the physical prison. There are spiritual prisons. There are emotional prisons, psychological prisons. Or maybe life has thrown you a curveball and it's hit you squarely in the face. And, you know, you just have doubts and you're discouraged, you're confused. You're asking God, why am I still single? God, I thought that I was supposed to get into this program or get this job. Lord, I thought that my children would come to faith in Christ already. And then maybe it's just that you, you don't have that close connection with Jesus that you wanted. And again, the doubt and confusion and discouragement is plaguing you in one form or another. Now, if that's you or that's happened to you, then you'll find uh, the answer in how Jesus responded to John's question. And again, it says, uh, Jesus said, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. And again, he begins to name the things that's happening. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus' words to John's disciples uh, are also found in Messianic prophecy. In Isaiah 35, it's prophesied, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame Leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. And then in Isaiah 61, in the voice of the Messiah, he wrote, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. So Jesus answered John's disciples with evidence from his life, acts that fulfilled prophecy in Scripture. And you know, these acts are not only uh, demonstrating Jesus' miraculous powers, but again, they're proofs that what he was doing was what the Messiah was prophesied to do. And in essence, Jesus was saying the antidote to discouragement, to doubts, to confusion, is to uh, see the goodness of God in his word and his works. You know, for the past few weeks, Pastor Sinder has just been hammering home the point of the importance of the word of God in our daily life. And there's nothing like the Word of God to push away doubts and discouragement and confusion in our lives. And today I'm going to be talking more about God's works and His goodness. You've already heard about uh, Rupin and, uh, and the Tandridge Connections Ministry and what God is doing there. So in the next little while, I'm just going to share with you what God is doing in the other Neighbor Connections Ministry. And my prayer is that as you see the God's goodness through changed lives, through His provision... That, you will, uh, that your faith will be strengthened and that will help you battle through the discouragements, doubts, and confusions that often come in life. And we've seen uh, the goodness of God and changed lives. Uh, this is Fred and Tasha. 
uh, Fred and Tasha live in Tandridge, and uh, Fred, uh, I have their permission to share their story. Uh, Fred came to know Christ uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, they were married right here uh, in this church. This is, in fact, their wedding picture. And then after that, uh, Fred was baptized uh, right in this tank in the Special Neighbor Connections baptismal service. And uh, since that time, they've just been growing in their faith. In fact, they actually volunteered Alpha, setting uh, the tables together and making sure that people are ready as they are coming. And, you know, uh, they're also reaching out to the Tandridge community. They, Rupert and I were just there last week, and they were telling us the story of how they had this uh, big party in Tandridge, too, just so that they get to know the people there. And, you know, they live in this little townhouse, and there's probably, their front yard is probably five meters by five meters. And there are 200 people. I mean, of course, they all kind of spread out. And, you know, as um, some parties go, they start drinking and so on. It's kind of got a little wild. Uh, you have to know that uh, Fred has an amazing sound system, so it was just booming throughout Tandridge. Well, within hours, the police came with full riot gear from different places, and all of a sudden, people scattered. But you know what? They know the people. They have a foothold uh, in Tandridge, and they know how to minister to people there. And so it's exciting to see them grow and move forward in their faith. And a few months ago, Fred's sister had a huge crisis in her life, and she and her daughter moved in with Fred and Tasha temporarily. And because she saw the change in Fred's life, and also because of the uh, grace of God and the goodness of God through this church, she gave her life to Christ just late last year. And, uh, in fact, she is planning to get baptized on a special uh, baptismal service with Neighborhood Connections February 9th. It's a Thursday, 11 o'clock. You're, again, uh, invited to come, and she'll be joined, God willing, by about seven or eight others who have recently come to faith. Uh, this is Jenna. And she is a young mom with two kids. Uh, she lives just down in Islington here. And uh, she gave to light, uh, her life to Christ uh, again uh, early last year. And, you know, she had just started volunteering at uh, the food pantry. And, she, you know, during that time, she had this nightmare that the world was coming to an end. And then there was a voice from behind her that said, Jenna, you're not ready. So Jenna woke up in a cold sweat. She picked up the phone and said, you know, Pastor Sam, uh, how do I get ready? And praise God, I uh, didn't uh, mess that up. She came to uh, receive Christ. And, you know, since that time, she has just been so excited about her relationship with God. And again, growing in her faith. And she's like an Andrew in the Bible, continues to invite friends. Uh, she's been talking about uh, the lunchroom church and this church to anyone who'd listen. She, ha- she was taking a course uh, during that time, and she started talking about the lunchroom and the church. And so the, the people were so intrigued. Her teacher and a number of classmates came to the lunchroom to find out what God was doing there. And then also, anyone who she meets, Right, she says, oh, uh, I brought somebody here. I just met them at the dollar store. I just met uh, this family from Walmart, and I thought they, you know, they could really um, uh, hear about God. She brought uh, friends, her friends to uh, Tandridge, the candidate outreach there, to help out people who were far away from God. And again, even at our Christmas banquet, she brought a friend. And she'd only been a Christian a year. And again, very excited about her relationship with God. And uh, also, 
this is our Sean course. Uh, Sean uh, stands for uh, Studying by Extension to All Nations, and it's a course that the Alliance uses to train pastors overseas. Many of them are bivocational pastors. They have a job, and then they have to study. And so this is the course that we put them through so that uh, they're equipped to become pastors. So we have four people from our community who are taking this course, those who have come to faith. Uh, you'll recognize some of them. John, who had taken Alpha, he's taking, it's a two-year course. So they meet here every Sunday. Uh, they have uh, uh, probably a few-week breaks throughout the year, but they are studying the Word of God and being trained to uh, minister in our community. And there's um, Joey. Uh, you heard Many of you heard him and his baptism as well as Charmaine, who's also part of our leadership team in Tandridge, and Mark. And uh, Deb Porcheron is, is teaching that course. And it was just amazing when Pastor David and I were talking about how, you know, how can we uh, get the people who are coming to Christ to begin to reach out to our community. And then that's when Deb approached us and asked us, you know, I'd love to teach this course. How can we be involved? And so it's amazing how God has put those together. And then a young single mom uh, from a Muslim background, just from the community, a few doors down. Uh, she has been ostracized uh, by uh, her family because she had a child out of wedlock. And, you know, she's been coming here uh, at, specifically at the office. And Shereshmi, our secretary, has just befriended her. And we've had a chance to talk. And we've been able to pray for her in Jesus' name. And she, you know, one time she said, you guys are the only ones who actually care for me and my child. Uh, and so we're slowly building a relationship with her, and we're praying that God will draw her to himself. And then even uh, just this past Tuesday, God is at work all the time. And it's amazing. Um, a man who's just regularly negative, uh, who's been coming for years, uh, and Pastor Dave was talking about forgiveness. And he was really deeply convicted when I was doing the means test. And the means test was just a, it's a test. We looked through their um, income expenses to make sure they actually qualify to be using the food bank. And uh, so when I was talking about, uh, you know, what he thought about the message and his life, you know, he says, I just uh, had a real uh, fight with my dad and we haven't been talking. And so uh, I just wanted to forgive him. And he told me how he had committed his life to Christ uh, when he was five. And so, just this Tuesday, he recommitted his life to Christ and wanted to move forward in his faith. A woman by the name of Kim, uh, single mom, again, two kids. You know, she was just telling me how she just had a lumpectomy, she has cancer, and uh, she's going for treatment. And so I just had a chance to pray with her, and again, with tears, she was just so grateful that people cared for her. A man from a Muslim background, he had lost everything because of his addiction to alcohol, his family, his wife, his job. And so he's been coming, and um, uh, we had just connected because he wanted to, a place uh, to go to a rehab. And he asked, you know, can you pray for me? And so I prayed for him in Jesus' name. And he says, you know, I just want to let you know that I believe Jesus is the only true prophet and that I need, uh, I can come to God through him. So we hear stories like that all the time. And God has changed lives through many of our other neighborhood connections uh, ministries as well, whether it be through the Family Heritage Ministry, you know, and these guys do a great job making people look beautiful, the clothing closet. Um, uh, he's also raised up Hunger for Healing, or it's his, uh, uh, Narcotics Anonymous group on Friday nights. And, you know, the leader of that uh, group is not a believer. So God has raised up David Sabula to start a Celebrate Recovery Program, which is a Christ-centered recovery 
program, and we've been partnering with Salvation Army at Kipling with that ministry. We're thankful for our uh, ladies' community Bible study and how that's deepening the women's faith there. And we're, I'm just so grateful for Pastor Cheryl, who uh, is just moving uh, these uh, women along as well. And they're now, that ministry is now coming alongside um, the, the women's ministry, and they now have mentors as well. And we've seen God's goodness through his provision. And, you know, uh, year after year, I tell you of how God's provided through different partners that we have, whether it be Costco or Feed the Children, um, even uh, the Toronto Airport and um, Fortino's, uh, No Frills and others. And, you know, food has come in through that. And we've gained a number of new partners. And I'm so grateful for a guy like Bert Van Lang who continues to develop those new partners. And most of all, we're very grateful to all of you who... Um, you know, you've given food donations and financial donations, and we received about $45,000 of donations uh, towards neighborhood connections through the Benevolent Fund, through the food pantry, and thank you very much for your generosity. God is using you. And as a result of all of that provision, uh, we're able to minister to about 100 families in our community per month uh, through the Living Water Food Pantry. And all that food as well helps three other food banks in our area. That's uh, Salvation Army at Kipling, that's the Toronto Alliance Church Food Bank and the Western Area Emergency Support Food Bank. And while we didn't do the Christmas hamper this past year, uh, still we were able to give out 100 food baskets and somebody had given a special donation. So we were able to buy gift cards so that they could buy a ham or a turkey with that. And people just, you know, when they come to pick those up, uh, it's, it's amazing to see their faces. And, and they know, they know that it comes uh, from God and not just from us. And we're so grateful for God like Peter Scott and how Mark has joined us in, in giving the word of God at the lunchroom as well. And we regularly have about 100 people coming. And again, for those who don't know the lunchroom, it's, that, it's like a church where we have uh, lunch together. Uh, don't you wish we had breakfast together when we were having the service? Uh, and then we'd have the food bank and then the clothing closet during that time. And so people are growing. We have uh, our wonderful chefs, you know, uh, Chan, Prasad, uh, we've got Joanne Van Lang and Peter Scott who continue to pair, prepare those meals for Daniel who leads the worship. We praise God for many, many of our volunteers. Uh, and that's God's provision as well. As God's raised up so many volunteers. And now even many of the people who's coming to faith are now volunteering as well. And as you heard last year, we saw six people uh, get baptized and are slowly joining into the ministry. So you see the antidote to doubts discouragement to confusion is hearing about the goodness of God in his word and through his works. And lastly, uh, you'll notice that Jesus didn't say to John, you know, John, you'll know that the Messiah has come because you're getting out of prison. No, we know that John is actually beheaded and his head is put on a plate uh, presented by Herodias to King Herod. And that's why Jesus said in, in verse 23, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And you know, once we get over the shock of those words, we gain some understanding of Jesus' statement that the fact is we all have preconceptions about what Jesus is and what he should do. And when he doesn't meet those expectations, many people walk away, convinced that he's let them down. 
you know, we call out to Jesus asking him to do something very specific and he doesn't, you know, he just responds in a different way than when we requested and some just write them off. We see difficult things happen uh, and we think, you know, Jesus could have stepped in and intervened, but he doesn't. So we question his love, his power and his goodness. You know, we don't understand why he did or didn't do as we expected or desired um, and as we believed God should act. And our lack of understanding overrules our faith. And yes, it's not only possible, but far too many have fallen away on account of Jesus. But here, Jesus' blessing and promise once again, blessed, blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. Blessed are those who recognize that understanding can booster one's faith, but it must never be allowed to determine one's faith. Blessed is the one who releases their preconceptions, allowing Jesus to be who he is and act according to his divine will. Blessed is the one who relaxes in the reality that God is good and that he, doesn't, that he does know what's best and that we don't have to understand to trust him. Blessed is the one who goes to Jesus with their doubts and their discouragement and their questions, allowing his life and love and goodness to quiet their troubled minds and their hearts. Blessed is the one who finds comfort in the midst of troubling times in the word of God. Blessed is the one whose faith in Jesus, uh, whose faith is in Jesus and not in what Jesus can or will do for them. Blessed is the one who, as the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And so we see that the goodness of God is a life-transforming truth. The goodness of God is a life-transforming truth. I want to conclude quickly by looking at just the ways the goodness of God should intersect our attitudes and our actions. First of all, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. You know, the goodness of God is a character trait that applies to every attribute of his. God's holiness is good. God's wrath is good. God's righteousness and mercy is good. God is good in his entirety. There's nothing about God that is not good. There's nothing God purposes for his children that's not good. God gives his children only that which is good. And he withholds nothing good from us. God is good and he is at work in our lives for good. Nothing which God creates, nothing which God accomplishes is not good. And you know, we must take that truth about God's goodness one step further. God allows nothing to happen to the Christian which is not good. And we all know that passage very well in Romans 8, you know, where it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And we may be convinced of God's goodness and yet doubt that everything which happens to us is good, right? We carefully avoid blaming God because we know he's good. And so we'll blame the devil, we'll blame other people for some of the bad things that happen. But Paul's thorn in the flesh was brought about by the, a messenger of Satan, but Scripture tells us that God's permitted it so that his strength might be manifested through Paul's weakness. And that the evil Joseph's brothers intended against him, God intended for good. Whatever comes into the life of the Christian is a part of God's purpose to bring glory to himself, and it's also for our good. 
And then secondly, we must conclude that those who tell us that God wants only to bless us with healing and prosperity in this life are false teachers. Because this teaching leads Christians to erroneous thinking. That knowing God is the way to the good life, as some health and wealth gospel preachers will tell you, is not the truth. In fact, the psalmist Asaph indicates, along with countless of other people in the Bible, that said that suffering is often the means by which we come to know God more intimately. In, um, in Psalm 119, we read, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then in verse 75, it says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Thirdly, the goodness of God is most evident in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The goodness of God is most evident in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news, and it's good news to all men in this common grace. God showers goodness to both the righteous and the unrighteous alike. But God is particularly good to his children, for those who believe in the gospel. And the gospel is based on the truth that people are sinful, deserving God's eternal wrath. And it's the bad news of our sinful condition and also the eternal wrath which God says it deserves. But the good news is this, that God made a way possible for us to come to escape judgment, to have our sins forgiven, to spend eternity in God's presence. And that way is through the coming of Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for our sins, and who rose from the dead and is now ascended at the right hand of the Father. Nowhere is the goodness of God more evident than the person of Jesus Christ. In his goodness, God provided a way for sinners to be forgiven and declared righteous. It's not only... Um, it's not by any of our good works, which we do, but on the basis of the goodness of God and Jesus. Now, if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never trusted in his saving work on the cross, I just want to really exhort you from Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So I want to encourage you to take refuge in Jesus if you've not done so today. Talk to Rupan, talk to me, talk to Pastor Chris, talk to anyone um, that's here, they'll help you. And with that offer of salvation by faith in Christ, I must also issue a warning, a word of warning, that the goodness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. And if we reject that goodness, that goodness of God in Christ, we reject the gospel, and then we bring ourselves to the divine wrath of God. And then lastly, the goodness of God is the foundational truth that shapes our perspective towards God and his dealings with us in this life. The goodness of God is the fact that which the, uh, the Bible often testifies to. And it's that which the Christian needs to embrace. But before we can do this, uh, it's the perspective through which all of our experiences must uh, be viewed through. You know, as the worship team comes up to lead us uh, in a closing song, I just want to give you some next steps uh, for you to think about. You know, as for you to battle doubts and discouragement and confusion in your life, um, just uh, encourage. Sorry, could I still have my points up? It's okay. Uh, you can join God. Where is that work? You know, our motto has been uh, 
uh, look where God is working and join him in that work. You've heard Natalie already ask about workers. Last week you heard from uh, uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Dave and uh, Scott about the need for workers. Uh, again, many of the other ministries join God in his work and apply his goodness in all these places. And then secondly, journal about God's goodness uh, in your life. And I have a, a life journal and a prayer journal. I start my life journal in the beginning and I have the, my prayer journal in the end and they end up meeting in the middle. And, you know, in the, I just put uh, journal entry, you know, whatever date it is. And I start writing. I say, Lord, and then I start writing whatever I'm thinking, whatever I'm feeling or whatever I'm learning. And sometimes I just say, Lord, I don't know what to write in my journal. But then God begins to, to use that. And also, uh, you can also journal about some of the things that not only what God's doing in your life, but also what God is doing in other people's lives. And also, again, different prayer requests. And you, as you keep track of prayer requests, you'll begin to see some of the answers to those prayer requests. And then thirdly, read about God at work. And whether it be through missionary biographies uh, or international workers' prayer letters, those are some of the things that um, you can do to combat doubt, confusion, um, and discouragement in your life, that you would see the goodness of God through those things. And when I was thinking about how to bless you, I just wanted to bless you with faith and courage to be able to say to your doubts, to your confusion and your discouragements, God is good. And to be able to know that this, not, this life is not it. That God is preparing for us to become like Christ. And that we'll all be together in this kingdom. Go in Jesus' name. Amen.